Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and this week I'm joined by Matt and Lori Krieg. Lori and Matt are devoted Christ followers serving in ministry and counseling. Their marriage is unique in that they are in a mixed orientation marriage. Both Matt and Lori are primarily attracted to women. However, God has brought incredible healing and insight to their marriage over the years, and they serve the greater church by sharing what they have learned to help teach the church how to approach sexuality with the gospel. Their latest book is entitled An Impossible Marriage, What Our Mixed Orientation Marriage Has Taught Us About Love and the Gospel. Now, on this week's episode, Matt and Lori share how God showed up in a powerful way when they were questioning whether their marriage could even continue, including what they learned about dying to self. Lori shares how we can process what might feel natural to us in a way that truly honors God. Matt and Lori also explain why sex is not a need, even in marriage, and how we can better approach sex and other areas of intimacy in our marriages. This is such an enlightening discussion that can help us in our own marriages and with the marriages of those in our churches and ministries. So please join me now in my conversation with Matt and Lori Krieg. Matt and Lori, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So good to have you with us. So good to be here. Yeah, glad to be with you. Excellent. Now, uh, the two of you, you have a unique marriage in many ways, but in other ways, it is very similar to any other Christian marriage. Uh, to start off, can you explain um, a bit about what makes your marriage unique? Yeah, when we were getting married, we didn't know we were getting into a marriage type, but now we know it has a name. Um, but uh, when I struggle with lust, it's toward women. So my default sexual attraction is not toward the gender of my spouse, which would be male, uh, but it's toward uh, women. However, here I am in marriage, which I believe, we believe uh, God's design for marriage is his only definition is between a man and a woman. So here I go with my version of sexual brokenness uh, toward women, but I'm in a heterosexual marriage. And so the type that I was referring to, it's called a mixed orientation marriage. Okay. So it's a mixed orientation marriage. And what has that... um... What, what what challenges, and, and I can imagine there, there are probably some, you said that you kind of discovered this. So what challenges has that presented initially whenever you kind of came to this realization in your marriage? Well, and, and this is something, I mean, when we said we discovered this, that we, we discovered the title of, of this. This is something that Lori was open with her attractions mm-hmm. um, to me, I mean, even before we started dating. And so we weren't surprised walking into the marriage that this was uh, going to be a component of it. Um, but this is something that over time, um, as you can imagine, um, well, as, as listeners are probably imagining, there, there are some unique struggles, especially in that like physical connection mm-hmm. realm, which came up a lot, not because of the attractions. Primarily. Primarily, but because of a... Um, a, a, an instance of, of sexual trauma, sexual abuse that, that Lori kind of underwent when she was in uh, childhood. Mm. Um, and, and so that was something that made sex very fear, fearful for her when this kind of memory resurfaced in her life. So the re- repressed trauma memory 
resurfaced around year seven of our marriage and it magnetized to my attractions toward women, which I had been surrendering to Jesus. But Matt and I, you know, we got married. I was like, this is just something I surrender. But my heart's connected to you. We're on mission together. Uh, the mode God has called us to do the mission to make disciples is as married people. And um, God didn't have me fall in love with men, but Matt. So here we were. But then when this trauma memory resurfaced, it magnetized to those attractions that I was daily surrendering to Jesus. And it started asking me a question. What do you want? And subsequently, do you want to stay in this marriage? Hmm. Yeah. And, and Lori, at one point in the marriage, you were seriously considering Walking away, walking out on Matt and, and your children. What what really convinced you to stay? I mean, the short answer is God, but the how is um, I'm like kind of annoyingly devoted to God. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I was wrestling with that question of what do you want and do you want to stay in this marriage? I took that question. I like packed it into a suitcase of warm clothes in December in Michigan and took it on a silent retreat. Um, a pastor mentor friend of ours, uh, didn't know that he knew some of the pain we were going through, but not maybe the extent of it, but he, uh, encouraged Matt and I to go separately on a silent retreat and just reset with Jesus. And when I went, that was my main focus. And I wrestled with God, um, on that silent retreat, I literally made a pro con list and wrote out uh, pros of leaving my marriage and cons of leaving my mm. marriage. And um, really the biggest one where God broke through was through his word. Cause in the midst of this wrestling was seriously leaving, I was still doing my daily Bible reading <laughs> so, <laughs> like, and not out of legalism. Maybe so, it was out of like, this is what I'm doing, but turns mm. out the word of God is alive and active. And, um, he used the book of Jude to um, to grip my heart. And there's a section in there, verses 17 to 19 in particular, um, that was in my Bible reading the day before I went on this retreat. And it just came up as I was making this pro-con list. And it says, there are those who follow what is natural to them because they do not have God's spirit in them. And so I thought, if I follow what feels natural to me, Will I lose the spirit of God? Like, will I not have that same access? And while I'm sitting there looking over the bright and shining snow, writing back and forth with this prayer to God, pro-con list, I'm like, well, what's your spirit even give me, God? Hmm. And everything was on the table. And I'm like, not like a, I don't know, like I haven't been in with Jesus since I prayed the prayer at age six, been the like <laughs> Christian leader girl. My dad was a pastor and here I was, everything on the table. And it was bananas because in the next two microseconds, I believe God allowed me to experience what a life devoid of him feels like. Hmm. It was like a life of hell. And it was two seconds, but I was so cold and so terrified. And it wasn't like, oh, I feel empty. I need a sandwich. I felt like <laughs> I was emptiness, like a black hole. I could not suck life in enough around me to comfort this like terror inside. And it was two seconds. But when those seconds were done, I was panting and I was trying to catch my breath and something was so, so clear to me. And it was this, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is not some sort of Jiminy Cricket always let your conscience be your guide sort of character. 
He is. God is the only source of life and hope and peace. The only source. And if I wanted his gifts, <laughs> then I wanted him. And if I wanted him, then I wanted what he had for me. And he called me, not everyone like me, but me to this marriage, this impossible marriage. And so I left that silent retreat. You know, I came with a question. I left with a conviction that God, if I want your gifts, I want you. And I, if I want you, then I want what you have for me. And you've called me to this marriage. So I don't know how the heck you're going to fix it. I don't know if Matt and I will ever be physically intimate again, but I want you. And so I'm all in. So that was the major turning point. And the rest of our book uh, over the subsequent years is us digging through major questions that we had to go through, um, including what is marriage? Not what are the arguments against same-sex marriage? Those were boring to me. I could have written, like, regurgitated them to you in a second because I was <laughs> preaching on it. <laughs> Those did not save my marriage, our marriage. What saved our marriage, one piece of it was, of this few, was what is the yes, the good of God's design for marriage? What's the purpose of male and female marriage? And then also, what's the purpose of sex and marriage? I don't, those were huge ones that mm. we needed to unpack. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating, Laura. And I just love, as you're telling that story, how God just um, sets us up um, in a beautiful way. Um, on our journey with him like the fact that mm. that that Jude passage was what you read as you were heading off onto this retreat you know, just <laughs> yeah. I mean it, it just helps us recognize you know and sometimes we need to hear these stories because we forget that God God knows what we're facing and mm. uh, you know his spirit is at work active mm. and at work and like you said his word is active and at work and and um, one of the things on that passage as you shared that you know, talking about uh, what comes, you know, natural. And I think this is one of the, the biggest questions that people wrestle with, um, regardless of, of what their um, attraction is. But, but, you know, in relationships and even just in life is, you know, the argument that, well, this, God made me <laughs> and this is what I'm naturally, um, you know, mm -hmm. attracted to. Therefore... Right. And it's like it's almost like, you know, turning it on God. And that. so can you, can you, Lori, talk a little bit with us about, you know, that um, wrestling with that idea of what seems natural to us um, yeah. and, and not really putting the blame on God. But but how how did you how do you process through that yourself and mm -hmm. what feels natural versus what, what you feel really honors God? Yeah. So. That word natural is really interesting, but like we're all now what's natural and then you could kind of throw some air quotes around that is post fall existence. But what Matt and I like to say how we've been talking about specifically LGBT conversation, but really sexual brokenness, any, any brokenness mm -hmm. is we were not, and I'm preaching the choir here. We're not created for a post fall world. We're created for Eden. And we believe uh, that, you know, you can see it in Genesis 1 and 2, like there's good needs God put in us pre-fall for things like the need to have purpose. He gave us jobs, the need to be included. He gave us people, uh, the need for nurture, like he still created us to eat and to sleep. Like that's kind of weird. He could have made us robots, but he had us incomplete even pre-fall. 
And so there's those, we like to name those good needs. We, we put words to them and I'm sure God will gently correct us in heaven with what that actually is. But we just pick 10 words and we call them core needs. And those are for things like nurture, belonging, inclusion, uh, to be desired, to be seen. So blammo the fall. And now all of us, because of the fall, have a natural to us predisposition default or orientation, if you will, to get those good needs of our heart met in ways that don't actually satisfy us and don't glorify God. We are all born that way. So how can we sort through what's natural from the fall and what's maybe Edenic, like what's from Eden? That's where we need the word. That's where we need to see, like, God, what was your original intent? Why why did you have male and female uh, if people are called to marriage? So it may be natural, but is it fall natural or is it Eden natural? That's good. That's good. I love that. Lori, as as you were um, writing about the, the experience um, of, of wrestling through, you know, those pros and cons as you worked through in, in that, that entire time, you you were really um, working through this kind of essentially clarifying for you that what we're required to do in marriage, all of us, is die to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think this is the same for every Christian marriage, just mixed orientation marriages? Like, how does that play out across the board? I mean, yeah, and I'll let Matt jump in here too. We, so Ephesians 5 31, 32, probably every pastor here is like, knows it by heart. You do it at every wedding. Uh, But it's for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall be united into one. This is a profound mystery. Hmm. And I'm talking about Christ in the church. So I had heard that 15 billion trillion times too. And yet it, again, the word alive and active just came alive for me. After I surrendered to Christ, I reread that and uh, Francis Chan's book, You and Me Forever, their marriage book, Francis and Lisa, they helped to guide that direction too. But it hit me for the first time that the great mystery isn't like, oh yeah, men and women and blah, blah, God and Christ and church. Like that's how I kind of grew up here. And like something, <laughs> there's something there. <laughs> and Nor is it, oh, the great mystery is that men and women fall in love. Isn't it so mysterious and so cute and hallmark? Mm. It's neither of those things where it's either like blah, blah, boring, nor is it squishy Hallmark movie. It's something like completely greater than all of that. And it's that through sex difference between men and women, where men and women, don't we kind of roll our eyes at each other sometimes? I mean, like how many marriage stuff is it's like, oh, women, you're so controlling and Pinterest and high heels and chatting and all men, they're so stupid and garages and cars and sports, you know, okay, you ever have an emotional thought, whatever, and sex. Uh, But instead of rolling our eyes at each other, because that was so baffling to me, guys, if there's one thing that we could start doing today, it would be stop rolling our eyes at the opposite sex because sex difference isn't a cosmic joke or a cosmic punishment. If God has called you to marriage, you are called to model the gospel because yes, men and women are so different and therefore the jokes, but how different if this is a great profound mystery I'm talking about Christ, the church, how different is Christ from the church? Mm. 
Ephesians 1.21 says he is far above every power and ruler and authority, not only in this world, but in the world to come. God is ontologically different, and we're dusty old Adam, us, and yet he is betrothed to us. He will marry us. The whole story of the Bible is a marriage. It has this marriage theme throughout it. And so a very different God will marry us. Very different humanity. Hmm. We get the privilege us married people get the privilege of showing the world how when we die to self, whatever that default is, and our spouse dies to self to be one with each other, we show the world how Jesus died to be one with us and how we are to die daily to experience increasing oneness with him. Our marriages are a 24-7 gospel story. Hmm. That's powerful. That's that's powerful. Now, Matt, um, in in your book, um, the book that you guys have written, An Impossible Marriage, uh, one of the things that you share is that um, during this this um, year where you are experiencing you know intense marital uh, problems, that um, your your word for the year was steadfast, and and I think this relates directly to to what Lori was just sharing with us. Uh, but Matt, can you talk to us about what did what did steadfast mean for you at that time? Uh, steadfast meant a lot. Um, and that's something, honestly, like I look back on that year and that is, that is something that steadfast is also a send tendency for me hmm. where I am, I, I pride myself or I can pride myself on being non-emotional and being steady. Um, but in that year, God was really calling me to remain in him. And I think of, okay, Lori, has these natural kind of default attractions to to women. And I know that in a battle between myself and a woman, uh, a woman will win if it was just that. But in a battle between a woman and God, then then God will win. And I think that was something well, that... Well, I'll jump in real quick. <laughs> Not now. I wouldn't say a woman would win now, but back then. Well, without yeah. God. Without, without God, God in the picture. True. Without That's God in the point. picture, a woman would would win um at that point and and in a space where where i was wrestling with like okay a, a marriage that is not necessarily i'm not feeling this affirmation i'm not feeling pursuit i'm not feeling all sorts of stuff it feels very isolated and alone mm. um that was something that i had to look at too and and you you say like okay is this something that your traditional straight married partners have to deal with is this dying to self and the answer is yes and, and so for me, steadfast took me not looking at Lori as my need meter and not looking at her as the thing that would bring me completion or fulfillment because she can't, she's not created for that. Um, but instead to look for God. And, and if I think of my past, part of my past is, is wrestling and struggling with pornography addiction. And that was something that I had to learn how to die to myself in, in that space. And I'll tell you something that when all of a sudden this stuff started happening in our marriage, man, going back toward to look at pornography was something that it was whispering to me like, okay, she's not, she's not, you know, pursuing you. She, this is off the table. This is not even available. There's like no hint of this going on right now. Oh, there is relief over here. And, and for me, like if I looked at Lori and I stared at her and just said, oh, well, there's, there's this deficit 
in our relationship, it would almost give me license to start pursuing that again. But when I look at God, I realize that is not the case because my call isn't to die to self only when Lori is, is, you know, pursuing me. The call is to die to self anyway. And, and it, it brings up in my mind, Psalm 51, when you think of this is a Psalm of David right after Nathan came and confronted him about his adultery with Bathsheba. And David's response is really, really interesting because he says he's okay. He's confessing his sins and wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. And then in verse four, there's this interesting thing. He says against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And he's talking to God. And I'm like, imagining, man, if the ghost of Uriah is standing there after having been murdered, you know, and Bathsheba standing there after having been, you know, I, I would assume because of the power imbalance coerced, at least in some way to, to in this, in this relationship. I'm like, man, there are so many people that David sinned against yet. It's this realization of the sin against God that brings about remorse and repentance and then sustained kind of movement toward him. And so in my life, that is what I had to do. I had to look at God and say, God, if I sin, if I look at porn, I'm not sinning against Lori. I am, but primarily, God, I'm sinning against you. And, and so that for me was the reason that I had to start, and we go into this in the book, fasting from my desire for sex, to stop looking at sex as the thing that would fulfill me, to stop looking at that as the thing that would bring me comfort, but instead to say, God, as much as I desire this and desire union with Lori in this and can hope for that in our marriage, I can't put my hope in that. And I have to put my hope in you. Yeah. And, and, and that's, um, you know, that that's challenging. I, I think one of the things um, that, that you said there is so so important, but can be glossed over in a way. And that is the idea that regardless of, of what's going on in our marriage, regardless of, of how we are feeling, we're in this covenant. And is that idea of dying um, to self um, is what, what becomes kind of the foundation in so many ways, because any marriage, right? Um, at different yeah. points in any marriage, um, mm -hmm. there's going to be times when, um, one one partner or the other is um, wrestling with with something, and so there's going to be these times when we don't feel, as you said, kind of fulfilled. But we have to remember that our fulfillment does not come from uh, our, our spouse. You know, that's that's not the place that we're supposed to seek total fulfillment. We know that we're supposed to seek fulfillment in God and God alone. And so, um, and yet, God blesses us with with this uh, partner in life, right? And and there's there's great joy that can be experienced through that. And so yeah. can you talk to us a little bit about that, that balance of, you know, we don't want to get to a point uh, where we're just kind of sterile and like, oh, whatever, um, you know, is happening. You know, God's, God's our ultimate fulfillment. So how do we balance that? Because there's something very real about um, relationship and joy within that relationship and, and those um, powerful experiences of union and those types of things. So um, how do we balance that seeking, you know, that, that relationship and all the, all the beauty that comes with that, um, but not making that the, you know, the source of all fulfillment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Matt and I will say, and we still see this now, like such a theme in our 
book is we got to dethrone sex in marriage from the idol it's become. So that's kind of the not worshiping it. And we, but we need to lift it up to the gospel metaphor that it is. But what you're saying, I'm so glad you're asking that question because um, oftentimes, at least, you know, Matt was the one who had to like take the pressure off of like staring at the marriage and sex and marriage in particular to like fill the needs of his heart. But I needed to learn to look not to it, to like come to his side. Like, oh, yes, this is where I find all my hopes and dreams and desires, but to look through it. So both of us needed to take the pressure. I was looking away from the marriage Hmm. and even like what you're, so I was looking away, Matt was looking at it, but even when I was coming back, exactly what you're honing in on, I could be like, okay, well, God's the one who meets my needs in my heart, but I'm just going to like tolerate this spouse. Hmm. Too many people live that way. And I think I'm looking, especially at women right now, maybe, maybe all genders, but I feel like I hear that more so in women is we're like, okay, well, the man can have my body. I don't even expect him. Maybe we'll have an emotional conversation when every, every once in a while. But uh, my girl, my girlfriends, I'm not saying the same sex trend women, my girlfriends mm-hmm. uh, are my emotional support and God is my source, but we're looking away. So maybe even if we're not looking away, like I was like exiting, but we're not looking through it to God. So I think that was such a a powerful and it still is. And I am, will never say I've arrived. We are always working on our marriage metaphor, but that was such a powerful exchange later on in the book. You hear me wrestling with God specifically about sex and marriage. And he says to me, Lori, what if there's something I want to teach you? about the goodness of the gospel through even sex in marriage with Matt. And there were years between from the beginning of the book and that moment, but I was, so I was ready to receive it. But I think that is so important for us to not look at it, nor uh, away from it, but to look through our marriage to God, who is the one who we will marry someday. Yeah. Practically speaking, Lori, how, how do we do that? Uh, because I, I understand, I believe what you're saying, right? Um, yeah. And it sounds great. <laughs> um, but, you know, when we're in the throes uh, of marriage, how do we practically look through that marriage um, to God? So for me, I might start it and maybe toss it to Matt. But for me, I, I grew up and even start living marriage, seeing as almost everything, every interchange as a bid for the quote unquote, ultimate oneness equals sign sex. <laughs> like every emotional conversation, oh, every little bump on Matt's arm, you know, it's like, oh man, are we going to get there? We're going to have the fade to black scene. Like that's like the <laughs> classic chick flick. And how do you know if they're, you know, they finally like each other is that fade to black moment. And so when sex was off the table, it really forced us to ask, like I said, that second question that we wrestled through is what is the purpose of sex? And it is a holistic oneness. There's multiple purposes, including, you know, having kids, which is a metaphor in itself of how God, when he's one with us, wants to bear fruit. But the one for me that was so huge is when I can look through sex to how I will be holistically one with God someday. That's the dream for sex. Now, when sex was off the table, Matt and I had to start getting creative as not physically creative. I'm saying creative in the sense of 
where else do we experience oneness? Mm. Where else do Matt and I feel like, you know, we actually have in the, in the book, you'll see in chapter five, we call them different gardens. Like we picture ourselves on this garden lush mountain where Matt and I are both gardeners on there and we have different areas, get different gardens, like the physical garden, the emotional, spiritual, intellectual, where we need to cultivate together. And so Matt and I had to get creative about where do we experience oneness? Because you can so easily focus in your marriage, like, well, here's our issues. I don't know. Marriage is hard. Issues are hard. Sex is hard. Uh, Let's move on. So instead of doing focusing on the problems, where are we experiencing oneness? And one thing for us we found practically is we love taking walks together. And there's a physical element. If I hold his hand, there's emotional connection, intellectual, spiritual uh, stewardship. We talk about like using our gifts or like, you know, making sure money wise, like, so it's pretty cheap. You can get a coffee and go for a walk. But we, it helped me so much to see, okay, where are we already doing okay? Like there is a friendship we experience there. There's union and, and unity. Uh, and then we started seeing, okay, if that's like, you know, even Matt and I are pretty weird. You can already tell, but we like to even rate, we have a workshop, an impossible marriage workshop that we do for all marriages. Uh, but we have you like, okay, let's rate a oneness event. Let's go for like going for a walk or going on a date. And let's, let's put numbers in each of these gardens and figure out, okay, where are we actually experiencing oneness? So saying that in order to, uh, take to to get that camaraderie and to get that looking through our marriage to God it helped to see where were we already succeeding and then think about okay well what's a great oneness event for you that maybe I don't feel super connected to you in and then making sure it's not just oh you just want sex so all right fine the physical area but how can we even with sex uh if that's an area of struggle for you how can we make it more holistic like spiritual and emotionally connecting. And I don't know, Matt, you need to jump in here. Yeah. And and I think everyone is going to have their places in their relationships where it's, it's quick for them to either avoid these areas or, or to look at these areas in this kind of semi, if not fully idolatrous way for me, the, the physical aspect of our relationships was the quick one for me to, to idolize. And, And honestly, the emotional, space was a space where I would enter it fearfully. Um, and, and so for, for us, when we're looking at the holistic metaphor of our marriage, part of it is like, okay, how do I, in my strength, care for Lori and her places of weakness and vice versa? Mm-hmm. And so for me, if the weakness for me, if a place where I feel exceedingly vulnerable is, is having an emotional conversation. I can talk intellectually about emotions quite easily, but to actually emote is, is difficult. And, and one of the things that Lori can do for me is, is to allow me to kind of baby step into that spot and cultivate mm-hmm. safety. You know, that's, that's one of the things that we call core needs is, is the need to be safe, to be protected. And so in this space of vulnerability, um, she has the ability to, to help cultivate safety, not because it then makes her a safe person, but because it reflects something about God. Mm. And, and same for me in the physical aspect, if you kind of reverse this, like a physical is a space that I feel strong, I feel capable, I've never really um, 
feeling feeling vulnerable there. Yet in this space, that is a place where Lori feels vulnerable. And so I have to work on cultivating safety for her, um, which means trying to engage kind of all of these different gardens equally, not overtending one to the neglect of the others. Um, and, and the spiritual garden, honestly, is a massive component of all of this, because if you don't have God, if you're not actively pursuing God, like, together as a couple, if you just have your own kind of quiet times and you never really cross um, and, and, and talk about that with one another, it's, it's very easy to just look at one another and, and almost have like your relationship where God is not necessarily a part of that unifying space. And so to, to have that purpose, to have that, that spiritual garden activated um, to be talking spiritually and to remember and remind one another about the purpose of marriage and about the spiritual realities that we're trying to exemplify in our interactions. Yeah, as you guys are, are talking, um, you know, and with kind of the garden metaphor that there are these different areas in our lives where we can cultivate and nurture intimacy, right? Um, right. But uh, the, the, the physical piece of it, sex, is one of those... Uh, places where um, intimacy is often seen as kind of at its deepest, you know, two bodies mm -hmm. coming together as one, right? So um, one of the things that you write in the book, you, you talk about the fact that sex is not a need, even in marriage, that sex is fruit. It, you know, it's a, mm -hmm. it is a gift for covenanted couples. It's a gospel metaphor, which you guys have discussed um, within the gospel metaphor of marriage. It's something to be used to worship God, not to be demanded. And we know that that um, sex is something that every married couple uh, struggles with at, at different points in their relationship. Um, mm -hmm. So can you talk to us a little bit about, um, as we're thinking about, you know, physical intimacy and sex as being, you know, the depth of that intimacy, how, how do we, I guess, how do we look at that garden um, mm -hmm. versus other gardens? Is there a difference there? And what does cultivating that look like when there are, you know, throughout marriage, different times where there can be challenges or struggles or concerns? Well, I think the first thing that I would say is sex is not a purely physical thing. Um, it is it is something that hopefully is exemplifying kind of oneness in all of the gardens. Um, but the other thing is, okay, if you look at First uh, Corinthians, what is it? Five seven seven five seven five. First Corinthians seven five. Um, you know that do not withhold yourselves therefore from one another. Passage. You know, except in times of, you know, concerted prayer and fasting, then come back together so that the devil may not tempt you. Um, I, as a counselor, I've often heard people come in and and use that verse as a demand for well, my wife. And I'm speaking a little bit stereotypically, but 99% of the time, it's the husband saying, my wife is not having sex with me enough. Um, and it's used as this kind of battering ram to, to demand sexual you know, fulfillment. Um, I, I rarely, if ever, hear that verse applied to the man when, when if you expand it out and it's this reflexive kind of self-introspective thing, do not withhold yourself from one another. It's not something that I get to, man to demand from Lori, but if I'm looking at myself, where do I withhold? Maybe even inadvertently, where do I withhold myself from her that might lead her 
to being tempted in some ways. And so that is something that I have to apply to myself emotionally as, as that is not my default. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at it, kind of the, the culture and, and I, I'm going to let Lori talk more about this because I think it affects women a lot more and just how, how sex is talked about from the pulpit. Um, but as a guy, what I heard was you will get married and you will have this wonderful avenue of expressing your sexuality and then everything's going to be perfect. <laughs> um, and that obviously wasn't the case. I don't know that, that that's not the case for anyone in marriage. Um, but the, the underlying assumption is that once you're married, sex will be great and you will have this way to, to, to fulfill this need. And if it is a need, if sex is a need, then why would God have people remain single? Mm. If, if it was actually this thing that is, I mean, it is vitally important in a marriage and in a relationship, but if it is not a need. And so if we can dethrone it from that space of need, such as like, like on the level of food, clothing, shelter, um, it, it puts, takes a lot of the weight off of that like demand. Um, but then I also think as guys, we need to look at ourselves and look at our bodies and look at these rhythms that, yes, we have physiologically and say, I am not going to just be beholden to this rhythm. Because I think we we look at guys as, well, boys will be boys, quote unquote, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And, and it's this assumption that you're going to pursue sex. And that makes us sound like animals. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when you hear women talk about men, Oftentimes it sounds like they're talking about animals. And, and so I think as guys, we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard because we are not animals. We, we are deeply emotional people. And yet when we look at this pursuit of sex as just this purely physiological thing, it takes so much away from what sex is supposed to be. Um, and then it puts a lot of pressure on women to just, in essence, throw us a bone like we're a dog. And so, Lori, if, if you can, can you talk kind of from the, yeah. the growing up female perspective? I, I don't think I can understate how much pressure is told to women from before they get married to when they get married of you are a store. Women, you're a store and your husband is a shopper. And if you don't keep your store open, wink, wink, he is going to shop somewhere else Mm. like it's and again what this doesn't honor the woman this does not honor the man it as the holistic image bearing creature that he is it treats him like a dog and so it puts it says women you're an object men you're a dog guys you better do it otherwise i'm gonna first corinthians seven you so (laughs) and guys men and women you better do this and so we have God never, ever, ever is he like, oh, oh yeah, sex. Oh yeah, I'm here. Oh yeah, you guys better like do stuff. It's always something deeper and richer in sex is supposed to symbolize the oneness, the union we will have in eternity. And that will not just be, it won't it won't not be a physical thing, but it isn't just a physical thing. So we have got to start with eternity and work backwards. And when we look at sex, say, how can we make it this holistic thing now? 
I've also heard this advice. Oh yeah. Okay. So then men, you better uh, open your heart up on that date. So you give her to give to her emotionally and she'll give to you physically. Okay. If marriage is a metaphor and we're looking above it, is that how God, his tender heart toward us wants to be treated is in a transactional relationship. Hmm. Okay, God. Yeah. I'll uh, go to church and tithe and you, you give me, you give me joy and hope and peace. Give me God. it's a relationship there's a sweetness a oneness so i think sex is a good indicator of what's going on it's not the barometer but it's a good indicator of saying oh man are we holistically one in anywhere in our marriage and we're only just doing this transaction when it comes to sex like let's back the train up and let's learn how to be friends again like god wants to be our friend let's learn how to be just be together uh yeah. Yeah, that's that, that's excellent. Excellent. Matt and Lori, thank you so much for just sharing your heart and, and sharing your journey and, and what God has been teaching uh, the two of you and, and you know, how the Spirit has been shaping you and uh, helping you to grow in your marriage. And then you have um, you've blessed the church by um, giving us a sneak peek into how God has been working in your marriage and in your lives and uh, helping helping many others as well. And so certainly appreciate uh, your time with us and your book, An Impossible Marriage, um, and, and what that shares. And I was just curious if you guys could share um, with our listeners if there's uh, you know ways that they can connect with uh, the two of you, your ministries, um, and I'm sure they can find the book pretty much wherever books are sold uh, for the most part, but, but where's some uh, places that you can go to connect or to learn more? Uh, yeah. If you want to grab that book, you can go to impossiblemarriage.com. But to find our podcast, Matt and I are talking about the gospel, marriage, sexuality, LGBT, and really just gritty gospel conversations on our podcast. Uh, but you can find blogs, et cetera, including that podcast in our book at lauriekrieg.com. So L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G. And um, if you want to talk directly to Matt, feel free to hit me up there and I'll, I'll forward it on to him. Um, but you can find his counseling site at caringwell.net. Excellent. And we'll have links to those and uh, also to the book in the show notes for those who are listening in. Matt and Lori, thank you so much for making the time to be with us. And again, for sharing from your heart, from your experience and helping point us to Christ. Thank you so much. God bless you. Yeah, you, you too. too. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. We hope you are finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we would appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcast so they can benefit as well. Thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send an email to podcasts at churchleaders.com or connect with me on Twitter. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app, available for both Apple and Android. So be sure to check out FaithPlay. Until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.